been distracted by bingo. <laughs> I, I, know, well, I was going to share with you because bingo is a bit of a northern English tradition and you used to always kind of do bingo nights just for fun and it often wasn't money so when I turned 30 and I was um, over here I hired out Barbadega and um, had some of my mates DJ but I said to everyone look don't bring presents bring bingo prizes and we're going to play bingo first and my brother my kind of stepbrother who was living with us at the time was um, the bingo caller. I said, we'll just have a bit of bingo and then we'll, you know, go dancing. But we actually played bingo from 8 o'clock to midnight. <laughs> no one would stop. And I have to say, my brother got slightly um, inebriated as the day got on and the kind of calling of the bingo went completely AWOL. But it's a really good time, I would just say. It's like a fun night thing to do. Not with money, but for other things, for fun stuff. So Mary and Martha coming into their home um, coming to spend time with these two women, I wanted to just begin by saying that sometimes when we come to this story, there are familiar ways that we are used to thinking of Mary and Martha and um, the way that they are, um, that we're invited to think about how we might relate to them. And sometimes I feel that those ways are, are laden with guilt or laden with an um, obligation. So I wanted to kind of share that first so that we can just rebuke that guilt and rebuke that obligation and get it out of the way so we can come and be with Jesus. And that kind of just comes from many years of, of often you go to ministry um, gatherings or retreat spaces, particularly for clergy, and we're invited into Mary and Martha. And often the conversation that we're invited to have is, um, do you relate more to Mary or more to Martha? And then what happens is you have this conversation on the one hand, becomes this guilt and obligation that you don't sit at Jesus' feet enough, because how can you ever? <laughs> you know, how could you ever sit at Jesus' feet enough? And so there's this desiring and this longing to, to be in his presence and to, to reshape our lives so that we can sit in the presence of Jesus and not have to do all the things that we have to do to be human and to, to look after ourselves, to look after our families. And so this kind of guilt and obligation around not being merry enough starts to kind of play out and then the other one that happens is this window comes to how people start to to really express their frustrations about how often in in working in their communities or working in their churches um, they are the Marthas they are doing everything and and they're not appreciated so then becomes this kind of guilt and obligation of actually well, you have to do everything you have to make sure the rosters all work you have to make sure that things are all working and and so so both of these conversations end up not really going to a place of joy, but going to a place of obligation and guilt. So let's just rebuke the guilt that we don't spend enough time with Jesus. And let's rebuke the frustration that serving is good for our character, serving is good for our community, and serving is a good thing. So let's accept the gift of service and rebuke the guilt that we can put on ourselves or others when we serve. So we serve at a place of joy and we come into Jesus' presence out of a gift. And so um, we just leave the obligation, leave the guilt away, and come into Jesus' presence. There's one really key thing about coming into Jesus' presence in this story, which is a, is a real reality that can sometimes be missed. And it's not where I want us to go tonight, but I want to name it because I think it's important. That is that the, the gender dynamics of this story are very, very significant, <laughs> So Martha is doing what the women at that time were expected to do. And Mary sitting at Jesus' feet as she's taking the posture of a disciple. And that wasn't something that women 
were invited to do at that time. It's incredibly courageous and brave what she's doing. But Jesus' words are so powerful. Donna read so beautifully to us. When, when Jesus says, Martha, you're, you're worrying about many things, um, but there's only one thing you need to really worry about. And Mary has chosen that one thing, and it will not be taken from her. When he speaks those words, he is shifting the dynamic enormously with the, the culture of the day and the people of the day. That he's been saying, come follow me, come follow me. And, and this group of people have been going. But here in this house is a woman taking the posture of one of his disciples. And he says to everyone in that room that that posture will not be taken from her. And so I, I, I say that so that we can come into that space. And whatever is the current things in our culture, in our day and age, that would make us feel that we should not be sat at Jesus' feet... I want you to hear the voice of Jesus saying, that will never be taken from you. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the teaching presence of God, from the loving presence of God, and from the, the, the sacrificial gift of Jesus into that very near heart of God. And nothing can take us from that place. And, and so let Jesus' words become your own words, that, um, that sitting at his feet will not be taken from you. That is your place, that is our place to come and be. With those things out of the way, what I want us to think about is then how do we, how do we dwell deeply in the presence of Jesus? How do we come into this place of Jesus' intimacy, this place of, of learning from Jesus, so that we can receive God's love and receive God's generosity? How can we come into that place? And I think there's lots of ways that as we um, go on that kind of spiritual journey, uh, we find ourselves satisfied when we have that, that the hunger within us, the ways that we know that, that living more deeply in community with, with one another is a way that we're close to Jesus. Living in rhythms of prayer is a way that we're close to Jesus. Coming and gathering on a rainy, rainy night to be together brings us into the presence of Jesus. Um, choosing to listen to the Bible when we're driving is <laughs> coming into the presence of Jesus. There's so many ways that we, we know we find nourishment of God's presence. And um, I'm, I'm coming really fresh into this, um, this kind of space of Jesus' presence because I think whatever shape our lives are, there will be distractions and things to worry about. And we all have lots of things to worry about. And we all have lots of things that can take us away and distract us from choosing to dwell in God. And at different ages and stages of life, there will be different opportunities and there will be different things that can get in the way of coming to dwell. And it's a conversation we have to keep really alive with Jesus, really alive of saying, how can I dwell with you? And we don't have to think that we have to answer that question um, in one way for all time and all space. So in each season of our life, we can say, what does it look like for me to daily be with you? And what might that look like over a week? What might that look like over a month? Or what might that look like over a year? And at each age and stage of life, um, dwelling into that with God, so that there may be a daily pattern that comes for us for a season the weekly Sabbath, the weekly space, 
maybe one that stays for our whole life, <laughs> or an annually, saying actually over a year, I'm going to really prioritise going away on the silent retreat, or on the other retreats, I'm going to really prioritise these spaces, and being able to think creatively about the opportunities that we have, and being realistic about the things that can get in the way of, of us doing that. So I say I'm, I'm coming quite fresh because at the beginning of this year, um, Jesus really challenged me because, because I've spent a lot of time in ministry with a young family. I'm always quite um, careful about the amount of times I'm separated from my family and how I can do things with them. And I remember um, working with this, um, one of the beautiful women that I worked with, and every year she went on a seven-day silent retreat. And I remember just sort of thinking... Oh, I could never do that. There's going to be years till I could go on a seven-day silent retreat. And I felt God kind of really challenged me because that year I'd been away from my family for seven days going to, um, to speak and do ministry in, in conferences and in what was missional places and kind of um, other parts of the world. And I felt God say, you, you will be separated as part of your ministry and service to others, but is it any different to be separated to be with me? I thought, oh, you've got me there. <laughs> <laughs> so at the beginning of this year, um, I found out through one of our retired priests that Joy Cowley was leading um, a women's retreat at Kapoor Monastery. Um, and this was a ministry focusing on Jesus' relationship with women. And I knew at the beginning of this year, I thought, I knew I was meant to try and find a longer space of, re of retreat. Um, and I knew that this, that this topic was the right one. So um, I, we kind of tried to creatively make the space in the diary. I couldn't end up going for the whole of it, but we managed to kind of carve half of the week for me to go. And then I found, this was last week, week, and then I found out the week before that it had been cancelled, but nobody had told me. <laughs> and so because it had been cancelled, my diary started to fill up. And so I, I knew that this was something I had to really fight for. So, um, you know, so we, you know, me and Rebecca sat and we said, no, I, we need to try and find a way to this is precious, I know this is something from God, and um, how can we recreate this? And so um, I ended up recreating those, the, this time last week with, a, with something of a self-directed, but for me, it's a bit like going to the gym isn't really helpful when you spend a lot of time in your own head, but going to aerobics is really helpful because someone tells you what to do. So for me, the idea of going on a guided retreat was really helpful because I didn't have to just think what I had to do. I needed someone to help me and guide me. So I did this combination of things, but it finished with a whole day at Joy Cowley's mouth in Featherstone last week. And um, she really graciously said that um, we could have the day together. And um, it was one of those days that just dripped with the gold of God's presence. And we sort of sat on couches and she'd prepared things and we just shared. And it was a very, very slow, gentle, beautiful, deep day. And every now and again, I thought, oh, I wish we were recording this conversation. <laughs> it was just beautiful. It was just the two of us, in, in many ways, just sharing the gifts of wisdom that we'd received from God over many years and kind of almost like unwrapping them and giving them to each other and going, oh, that's beautiful. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. It was just so lovely. And she began with this image of Mary and Martha and what it was to sit at Jesus' feet and um, the way that Jesus' ministry, each time um, he interacted 
with a woman, that his, one of the Jesuit understandings is that his ministry went to a bigger, more broader place. Um, and the way that he, um, yeah, that this partnership of different women that then expanded the ministry of God, expanded that, that missional call of where he went. Um, so it was a really, really beautiful time. For me, in that space um, of sitting and dwelling with Jesus, I find that I have to dwell with myself. And that sometimes the, the, the busyness, in whatever way, whether it's self-created or enforced, um, stops us being connected to ourselves. And one of the practices that I used to do when I was a school chaplain with lots of small boys um, in one of our Anglican schools was we would do these exercises called the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd, which was around encountering the presence of God through the story of the Good Shepherd and then expanding to other stories from Jesus. And each time we'd gather with, with lots of noisy, excited little boys and we'd say, now we're going to still ourselves because we're going to listen in three ways. We're going to listen to ourselves. We're going to listen to each other and we're going to listen to God. And that a sensitivity and sensibility of perception, of perceiving ourselves, perceiving each other and perceiving the presence of God is a deep, deep journey. And I wanted to share with you tonight um, a season from my life, which is probably one of my hardest, but one of the times when I learned to dwell in the presence of God in the midst of everything else that's happening. It's <coughs> time in which um, we, we can think that, as I just shared, there's times where we, we do step aside to sit at Jesus' feet, but actually, if we develop that consciousness of presence of ourselves, of others, and of God and particularly of the world as well, then we become more conscious of constantly being in the relational presence of Jesus. Constantly aware of this relational flow of life that flows like breath, that our breath is the breath of God, and as we breathe, we're breathing in the presence of God, the gift of life, we're breathing in God's love for us. As we spend time with other people, aware that each person is beautifully and wonderfully made, um, a gift of God, a gift in which God's presence is there. And, and suddenly, sitting at Jesus' feet doesn't look like having to clear your diary and go away for two days. It looks like a way of being in the midst of whatever else you're doing. So I learned this when I had a head injury. So, um, when my littlest was six months old, and my oldest was two and a half, um, I had, a, it was actually, a, a, ironically, a World War II brass bombshell that, kind of a big bomb cylinder, that had been turned into a vase, and it got knocked off the shelf and smashed onto my head. <laughs> and I got bleeding on the brain. So I had to have MRIs and all those things and was really, really unwell. Um, and I had a, a migraine basically for two years. And had, um, was by just, I, my, when you have a head injury, it's a bit like having a, a stroke. Like they're all very similar, all the brain things. So you just functioning doesn't work. And um, 
we, in some ways, we call it my Gordon Ramsay season in our family. <laughs> because um, you know how they say if you have head injuries, you swear a lot? Yeah. It was really bad. Like, it was really bad. There was this really bad moment when, um, when our cat, um, sorry, when this <laughs> boy was eating the cat biscuits, as children do. And then my older boy looked at him and went, oh, and then said in very northern accent, a swear word. <laughs> I was like, oh, no. Because part of it is your brain, it's like the blue screen of breath, of death. Like you literally cannot function. And all your brain does is, is swear because it's basically, it can't function anymore. So it goes as low as de denominator where you're like, you can't really think. So you literally can't think. So you can't read often. So I, it took me a long time to... to the, the words just were fuzzy and I had to literally learn to read again and um, and then when I could you know, could read I just couldn't concentrate for very long so that's when I had to kind of go into audiobooks and, um, and one of the things I say is you have to stay away from loud noises and young children <laughs> and you need lots of sleep and if you're you know you're still breastfeeding and you're awake a lot of the night with little ones. Um, so this is one of those hilarious moments where medical professionals go, oh, you're not really recovering very quickly. And you go, well, have a day in my life as a mum, and then you won't be surprised anymore. You know, just come and join us. So in the midst of this kind of space where actually it was really hard to know how to figure out how to be in the presence of Jesus. Um, I, it was like, I often feel, for me, the analogy I, I use again and again is I just feel like um, following breadcrumbs it's like you just get a little crumb of an idea and it feels like it's got God over it. So you kind of walk forward and taste it and eat it and it's good and you just follow the breadcrumbs. So and one day um, I was at the, uh, like the doctor's and next to the doctor's was this little bookstore book and I couldn't drive. So I was waiting for um, Tim to come and pick me up. So I just went into the bookstore while I was waiting and I saw um, this um, journal and it was a journal that was called the Painter's Journal. Because words weren't easy for me, at that time I noticed it and picked it up. And what it did was it said it had a, a space for a sketch every day. So instead of writing a journal or, or, or reflecting, you drew something from every day. And I cannot draw. Like, I am not at all artistic. One of my boys is really artistic, but I, I really can't draw. So it would never occur to me to do this, but it, it stayed with me. And I didn't buy it, but then... I am um, that week it just kept staying with me and I thought I need to do this and so um, I started each day to draw something from each day um, the first time I did it I realized it wasn't just anything it was a moment that I had been present to so it's a time that I was conscious so it's like like um it's the only thing I can kind of I'm struggling to think of words of how to explain this but it's the moment that you are appreciative of at the time so it's a moment where you're conscious in a space of sort of gratitude or thankfulness and that that you're kind of aware aware of and um i did have a vague thought of actually photographing and putting them in a slideshow but i thought it'd be so hilarious it would completely miss the point if you saw my drawing <laughs> so instead i'm just going to read a few to you so I drew, would draw a picture and then I would just write what it was. So these are each day and, um, and each thing is something that was a sense of presence. And the first one was a posh chocolate. Spring blossom. A 
a two-mile-long communion altar, a magnolium blossom buttonhole, snuggling to sleep with mummy, a family nest, a handmade beeswax candle, a kiss, a black cloud, a pebble in a stream, a toy horse, holy oil for anointing, male scent, sunshine, koru, home, starlight, pillow and duvet, a birthday cake, the Ark of the Covenant, beach, a chocolate biscuit shared, leafy branches and palms, a chameleon, moon and stars, tree fern, a fabric sample, clouds at sunset, my cat, fear and hope flowing together with new possibilities and new beginnings, replacing so much more. A communion chalice overflowing with laughter, a wooden tractor and sleep, pixie glitter, matching ride on trikes, starfish, stolen newspapers, a courtyard garden, smoke rings of faith, love and hope, submitted work, perfect baby teeth, a ship's steering wheel, volleyball, a family of monkeys, a text sorry, matching crocodile feet, roly-polies, Joey the lamb, old friends, new love, playing on the beach. Flowers, nachos, beautiful gardens, you too from a distance. That was the last time they came to New Zealand. <laughs> and I couldn't go because of my head injury, so I listened. <laughs> Prayers, holding a little hand, green leaves. Football and the band Rotanda, chocolate on a bridge, giggly cuddles. And then this was a little poem. To stay in each day, deeper and deeper, and feel the layers that weigh beneath the surface of conscious living. You wait there. You wait to be with us. And you hold up a hand. As I stand at the door of the new year and move beyond a love of me in you or you in me, the land that you give and the I and the you feel almost further apart than ever before. Yet in that space, I can love you so much more, so much more. And holding your hand in trust for the tomorrow and the realization of such fragile and fragmented love breathes freely in its honesty and simple desire for you and me in you. So I share that with you. <laughs> For the, um, for the new year and that sense that actually Jesus so waits beneath every single moment <laughs> that we have, that every single moment we have is an invitation to know that Jesus is with us and holding those things with us.
And, and that kind of recognition of being present to myself stopped the merging of just the me and God in one big blob. It was actually I was present to myself and recognizing that God was not just my blob, <laughs> but that actually, and I, as I became more present to who I was and to how I was feeling and what I was experiencing, then there was a space of thankfulness and gratitude into God's presence. And so I wanted to give to you a, a gift that's really fresh for me, but it's a gift of understanding um, what is an invitation that I really believe that Jesus wants us to hear for our time and for each other. And that is about the place that's called the Council of the Lord. Now, the Council of the Lord is in Jeremiah. And it comes in this place of talking about prophecy. And it's in this time when, um, when kind of uh, the, people, you know, the, the usual Old Testament story of um, people are saying, oh, everything's fine. And God's going, no, it's not. And they're going, it's all fine. And this is sort of like the false prophets that actually aren't listening to God. And so this is when Jesus, sorry, when, um, when God is saying, for who has stood in the counsel of the Lord so as to see and to hear his word? Who has given heed to his word so as to proclaim it? And it speaks about this kind of storm of the Lord. And it says, I did not send prophets, and yet they ran and spoke to you. Um, but they have not stood in my counsel that they have proclaimed my words to my people. So this idea of the counsel of the Lord is a space of coming into uh, the counsel that the, the Old Testament prophecy would perceive. So this idea that you speak from the words of God, this is this idea of the counsel of the Lord. But in the New Testament, the New Testament prophecy is completely different from Old Testament prophecy. Um, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, their encouragement, and their comfort. So the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. In Psalm 18, verse 19, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. And the, the first people of this, of this land, I'm talking to Fenua, and I learned this through Archbishop Don. When the first, um, the first priests came, the Māori understanding was that they, they talked about them as the clearing spaces. They cleared the way. They, they understood spiritually what they were doing. They were clearing the way. Um, that as they kind of came in this presence and in this ministry, it was literally clearing the way, making that spacious place of God. And this invitation for us to dwell with Jesus, I think we have to nuance now and understanding that we are invited into the counsel of the Lord, that we are being gifted by God a spacious place. And in that spacious place, there's room to move, there's room to feel, there's room to be aware. It's not a kind of constricted place of battle. It's a spacious place that we claim that we've cleared a space for. And that the counsel of the Lord for us is one that is filled with God's delight for us. God's presence now, God dwells with us in that way when we hear this, there's so much in scripture that says, you are the apple of my eye. <laughs> that we are the beloved of God. And so as we become conscious of ourselves, as we become conscious of God, it is to be filled with that, that awareness of belovedness. 
and that love which is stronger than death and love which drives out fear, that we dwell in this place of love and this consciousness of love for ourselves, for God and for this world creates that spacious place. And so um, I would really like to pray that for all of you <laughs> and would just really like to pray that for you as a, as a body of people together, as communities together, to have this gift of an increasing awareness of both the counsel of the Lord, which is the place where you hear and perceive God's heart, which is a heart of compassion, a heart of profound goodness, a heart of generosity, a heart that wants to bless and bless and bless. And that, um, that in the places where you dwell in your own life, you experience an increase of spaciousness in which the, the depth of, of God's goodness is, is, feels more around you and that you are able to, to come to God from this spacious place that actually isn't about clearing your diary, it's about knowing who you are in God and who God is in you <laughs> and what the presence of God in you um, is able to, to change around ourselves and the people that we're in relationship with and the world that we're called to be a part of. So the music team will come on up and I'll, and I'll pray, I'll pray for us. And, um, and as there's this time of worship, if, if there's things that have particularly you know, touched you tonight, I'd love to pray with you. Um, I think the custom here is over by the, the cross in the corner. We'd just love to kind of pray in that prayer ministry. And it may be in particular that actually... Um, Things have felt constricted for you um, and that God is really wanting to gift, um, just to gift more space and um, to give you more space to operate in that love and to experience more strength of that love around you. Um, so I'd love to pray that for you, um, either for yourself, for your life, or on behalf of the chapter or the places that you're in. Let me pray. Jesus, you, um, you so um, delight in each of us. Your heart is always full of love. Your heart is always full of thankfulness and rejoicing. And um, I just want to pray that um, you would really open all of our hearts to be filled afresh with a spirit of gratitude. That we would have thankful hearts. Um, that our hearts would be so thankful that we are who we are. That we would not hate ourselves, that we would not be frustrated with ourselves, that we would not demean ourselves, but our hearts would be filled with love for ourselves, that we would see ourselves as you see us, and that tiny little moments of each day can resound within us with a thankfulness that we are made in your image. And Jesus, would you also come and minister amongst us and increase the space of our influence the influence of the love that we have in you, in our lives, in our families, in our homes, and in our communities. May we have increased capacity to love. And may that be the spacious place that we find ourselves living in and living for. So come Holy Spirit, come and dwell afresh within us, we pray. And may that space of love, our love for ourselves, a love for you and a love for this world never be taken from us.